0: Hello, and welcome to the NPRD podcast with nurse practitioner and registered dietitian Robin Kivet. Eating disorders, body image, medicine, they are all interconnected. But with so many programs, techniques, and advice to choose from, it's easy to be overwhelmed. Robin, with more than 25 years of experience as a nurse practitioner and registered dietitian, offers help and hope for everyone families, children, and adults. Along with veteran talk show host and good friend, Jordan Rich, Robin invites you to learn much more right here on the NPRD Podcast. Welcome to another edition of
1: the NPRD. Today, we are very lucky to have Sarah Logue, a clinical social worker and therapist, Sarah has her masters from the University of Iowa and has been in practice since 2006. Thank you Sarah for being with us today.
2: Yes, I'm happy to be here, Robin. Thank you for the offer.
1: Yeah, so Sarah and I have known each other longer than we can remember. <laughs> we were talking. I think we've talked about this a couple times. We've shared a case very early on and and it was I believe it was when I was still working at Emerson College. I had my private practice, but Mm -hmm. I think it was when I was there. And um, so I've known you for a while. And now we are in the Greater Boston Wellness Collaborative together, where we are clinicians working with patients and families around coordinating care and treating eating disorders and body image. I totally botched our elevator speech, but I'll go with that for now. That works. Yeah. No. So, so, oh, you nailed it. <laughs> so Sarah um, Sarah and I also, as part of our collaborative, just recently, I know Jordan and I have talked about this on air in mm-hmm. two separate podcasts, but we recently gave our Helping Parents, Helping Kids, Nourishment, and Body Image 101 to um, another school, Which went great, and Sarah was like, "Awesome!" So because she, you were because Sarah, yeah. So Sarah doesn't treat kids, Jordan. She treats adults, but she is a mom, and therefore she does treat children. (laughs) And (laughs) her her pearls were just extraordinary. They were awesome.
0: Well, let's have her share a few of those pearls. Do you
1: you remember any (laughs) of that? You. That you shared, Sarah, oh. from that? My goodness. I think you talked about, one of the things you had talked about was diet culture, right? Did you? Yes. Yeah.
2: About diet culture. Um, that was sort of my opening. Yeah. To launch the talk off. Um, talked about how diet culture is not just being on a diet, and it's something that has its, it, it's it's reaches far and wide and it touches every one of us, just as people growing up in this culture. Um, that extends to our medical professionals. We talked about how doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, right. um, they're immersed in their own, I mean, they're immersed in the greater diet culture of our society, but as well as also their medical training and things like that orient people in a certain way. Um, yeah, I shared a story of when my daughter was two and we went to a birthday party of another playmate who was turning two and all the moms were talking. Of course, the kids were starting to get their two year physicals. And uh, a friend of mine whose two year old son had just had his physical said that the doctor had, um, calculated her son's BMI and said it was a little high and that was something that she really needed to watch. Mm-hmm. And I was appalled. I still am appalled. This was 10 yeah. years ago. I still am appalled um, that as, uh, at two, we were sort of expecting already to begin to uh, influencing our children's appetites and desires mm-hmm. and hunger and satiety cues in ways that didn't
1: necessarily feel very natural or very founded in good science, right? And I'm just picturing this cutie mm-hmm. little two-year-old and yeah, you know,
0: whatever just, happened to baby? Fat? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I know, uh, yes,
1: it is. It is a thing. One of the things we, one of the bullet points when we had talked about diet culture that day, is was is that n- nourishment diversity is essential. So kind of pulling from there that what one two-year-old eats or doesn't eat isn't the same as the next two-year-old, similar to the three of us here today.
0: You mentioned it was a success, and I'm sure it was. What was what did you see it on the faces of the kids, Robin and, uh, and Sarah, just in general? I mean, were there surprises in the room? Were they asking good questions? Were they interested?
1: So the talk was mainly to parents, okay. actually. So, um, and... We couldn't see any of them because we were it was all a zoom <laughs> of course panel. Right. But the Of course I que-
2: only saw my own
1: face. <laughs> <laughs> but the questions were actually fantastic. And I I remember and Sarah, I don't know what you remember or don't from those questions. I do remember the very last question was more of a statement towards their hope being hope towards more diversity in size and acceptance. Am I getting that right? From what? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, the one I'm remembering. I don't know if it's the same one you're thinking of. Robin was a um, a mom whose son. Right. Was larger, and she noted yeah. that friends and family would make comments um, about his size mm-hmm. to him. Um, and things that were really hurtful that would really upset him. yeah, and she was just sort of asking for some guidance on how to help him. Is that what you were thinking of, too, Robin?
1: There That one, but there was one at the end that there was just a comment towards um, there being more hope towards size and body, diversity, and acceptance, you know, across the board. But I think mm-hmm. to the one you're speaking of, one of the points we made was, and this will be an upcoming quote post in, in the month of November for me, but, you know, your body is your business. His body's mm-hmm. his business. And really trying to empower the mom to lay the groundwork for that with and for her mm-hmm. son alone, you know, together with him, but in things that, um, he can then use when he's on his own and then in front of other family. Because it's so hard.
2: Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Talking about, yeah, what mom can say. Yeah. Uh, how she can model sort of mm-hmm. that assertiveness as well as helping her son figure out when she's not around what he can say and what he right. can do.
1: And um, having him practice that so he knows yeah how to do yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So I wanted to ask you too, Sarah, if you would speak to the, a, a question that I get a lot when I talk to folks about seeing a therapist and you and I work on teams together, I, I'll suggest, well, there there will be CBT and DBT, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious to hear from you how both of those, either of those approaches, how would you describe them as your role as the therapist in helping people with those pieces? What do those types of therapy do, the CBT and DBT?
2: Well, certain forms of CBT are are more sort of like a third wave of psychotherapy models. CBT is, is the older and really sort of predates DBT and ACT which Mm -hmm. I do a lot of as well. Um,
1: Which I'll just say out loud real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act, right? Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, So CBT really looks at, it can be very structured and not quite so structured, but it really looks at how how and what someone is thinking. Um, Really honing in on the content of those thoughts and then offers a variety of interventions whereby you can begin to really examine your thoughts a little bit more critically um, and see if they're distorted or twisted in any particular way. A lot of us, all of us, sort of fall into the trap of thinking, um, maybe not quite this deliberately, but thinking, well, if I'm thinking it, it must be true, or Mm -hmm. operating as if our thoughts were true. CBT gives us a lot of really great tools for how to slow down and question that assumption, and really begin to look at, like I said, both the kind of the the validity of some of our thoughts, as well as the surrounding context in which we have those mm-hmm. thoughts. So, what are the feelings and emotions that go along with those, and what behaviors then are linked to those? Um, so it, it separates out those the thoughts. The feelings and emotions, and behaviors, and uh, really honing in on the thoughts, though, and helping us begin to around an eating sort of really begin to question, and examine overvaluation of weight and shape and body size, diet culture messages certainly fit into that as well. Uh, DBT, dialectic behavior therapy, um, that. You can do a variety of, of, not a variety, but there's, it's a continuum, and people that do fully adhere in DBT are very, very well trained. Um, I am not that well trained, but DBT offers a lot of really great tools yeah. focusing on four core areas like interpersonal effectiveness and mindfulness and emotion regulation and distress tolerance. So a lot of really great tools for helping people, especially in ways maybe when CBT and some of the more thought-challenging and uh, restructuring of thoughts don't work. So it it does a lot more, has a lot more tools to offer as far as like how somebody handles themselves out in the world and in relationships, as well as regulating emotions. Um, CBT is great, but it doesn't, it's not the end-all be-all. So DBT is a nice adjunct to some of those tools. Um, Act then acceptance and commitment therapy is yeah takes another sort of approach. in the think of a, like a, um, a circle that's got six points around the outside of it. In the middle, we have what is our core function, our core target, which is psychological flexibility. And that is the ability to notice how you're thinking to reflect on it, to change it, to move to a different perspective, to see something from somebody else's perspective, to how we can do things maybe that don't feel good in the moment, but might be serving kind of a, a greater purpose in our lives. Mm-hmm. So, and around that outside of this circle, like I said, are six points, which represent kind of like the six areas of intervention, uh, for act, so there's present moment awareness, mindfulness, diffusion, self as context, and then two of the big more action sort of oriented one are values and committed action. And values and committed action are critically important to act because they become kind of like the reason why we do what we do. This is not new to act psychotherapy. Psychotherapies, you know, for years have sort of Um, understood that it's important to have a reason why we do what we do in eating disorder work. It's critically important for somebody who's embarking on recovery to have some meaning in their recovery. Why are they doing, why are they putting themselves through the hard work of recovery? And that's a difficult one to figure out because typically you're dealing with people who are I mean, if you just think of the behaviors of either someone who's starving themselves or eating, you know, binging on copious amounts of food and then making themselves vomit, those, those behaviors are just filled with self-loathing and self-hatred. So people don't generally walk into my office kind of at the beginning of treatment and say, like, I feel really, really great about myself, but I have this problem where I, I don't eat enough to sustain my own functioning. Right. No, usually there's some element of, I don't deserve to feel better. I don't deserve food, that kind of thing. So act is really great because it can help us sort of figure out, okay, what are you going to do this for, because eating disorder recovery is incredibly hard work. It's scary, it's frustrating, it's unpredictable. And it's critically important, like I said, to have a reason and a purpose for why you're why you're doing that, why you're walking yourself through that fire.
1: Is it fair so. to say, Sarah, that another way that you could look at it with a patient is know why you're choosing what you're choosing?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because act does not act does not sort of say these are the values you should have. It's very agnostic when it comes to a what a value could be. It's up to the individual. Even, you know, even as a therapist, I I would never say to anyone, this is what, you know, should be important to you. Right. The the individual gets to decide that and then gets to look at, yeah, how their actions, how their behaviors, how their choices line
1: up with that. I want to go back to DBT for a minute here because, so my understanding of it as a treatment was it was started by Marsha Lenahan quite some time ago Mm -hmm. to treat Uh, borderline personality disorders. And so how do, like what would be a specific DBT tool that you might use in eating disorder treatment?
2: No, I uh, find that I use a lot of um, the interpersonal effectiveness skills. Mm -hmm. So uh, things like boundary setting and assertiveness and asking for wants and needs, Um, those fit really nicely in, eating disorder treatment, again, this is overgeneralizing, but typically you're dealing with people that either don't know their wants and their needs, don't know what boundaries to have, and then really wouldn't know or have any experience on how to communicate those boundaries or how Mm -hmm. to communicate what they want in a relationship. Um, So the interpersonal effectiveness tools work really nicely with sort of giving somebody a structure for how to begin practicing that.
1: I love that. I love how you just explained that. Definitely true. Yeah. And what's what's the mm-hmm. age range of patients that you see?
2: 18 and up.
1: Like, but in your personal practice, what would you say would be the kind of 18 to 65 oh, oh. or 18 to?
2: Typically, yeah, it's it's like college age, young adult, like yeah, 18 to 35.
1: Hmm.
2: Although I have had a few clients older than that, so in 40s, 50s. I just worked with a woman in her sixties, which was really
1: yeah, interesting. Yeah, I feel like we will keep seeing folks in mm-hmm. the sort of fifty, sixty plus age range. Given sort of the culture folks have grown up in, yeah, that is hopefully yeah. changing. That is changing. It's yeah. changing, right? Yeah. 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 Well, the interesting thing with this this client
2: that's in her sixties is she has she's dieted for, you know almost all her life. So she had been through all the the fad mm. diets, you know. And she knew she she'd been through every one of them. The younger um the younger clients, you know, a college age client isn't necessarily gonna be as familiar with Weight Watchers or right. some of those those things. So it was really interesting to just see how immersive it had been for her.
1: Well it was her probably encompassed so many of her thoughts and values and just going back to the presentation we made on that note we included pearls for adult children you know things that parents or loved ones of adult children could say or do inclusive of avoiding comments about weight body shape changes in size going you know thinking there's there's so much more, so many more interesting things about me than my size and my weight, and then mm-hmm. encouragement for the changing bodies. Because I think folks in their in their sixties, at least this is what I've seen that we work on a bit is they're just really and and women our age, you and I are similar in age, you know, being <laughs> being told to focus on not changing. Not a wrinkle, not a hair mm-hmm. that's great, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not not mm-hmm. one thing that way. Um, so I think those will be mm-hmm. important to keep talking about. so Definitely. Sarah, I feel so lucky that you were on today, and that I get to keep working with you, which I hope happens forever and ever. I love yes. the communication. Me too. you know, we're shortened to the point, but we help each other and we collaborate um, on our patients' behalfs, which is awesome. and yeah. For folks to find you, even though I believe your practice is full, but um, never know. But for folks to find you, you do have a great Psychology Today profile. And let me just spell your name for people (laughs) because it's a beautiful way to spell Sarah is S-A-R-A-I-L-O-G-U-E. So Sarah, S-A-R-A-I-L-O-G-U-E.
2: I really appreciate the opportunity, Robin, and the work that you're just continuing to try and change the discourse, change the messaging that's out there.
1: It's, so it's thank you. Yeah,
0: thanks. Ah. It's a it's a group effort, isn't it?
1: It is. It yeah. really is. Take care, Sarah.
0: Okay. Thank you for joining us for the NPRD podcast with Robin Kivit. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review us, and share this valuable podcast with friends and family. Help and hope is found here. For more, just go to robinkevit.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-K-I-E-V-I-T.com. Or check out the N-P-R-D.com.